0: We're going to read our scripture reading, which is in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And this is on page 976 in our pew Bibles. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh
1: Good morning. Um, I'm just taking a moment to appreciate this because they will never let me teach again after (laughs) I hear this. Uh, My name is Eric. Uh, I'm an elder here. Um, I've been attending here since I was 17. Uh, So this year, uh, I've officially been at Regen longer than I haven't. Um, So I have a lot of material to get through. Let's let's get going. Uh, First, most importantly, uh, Eric's rules for living. Sleep. Uh, Adam, I don't know if you remember, he went to sleep. And when he woke up, he had a wife. So (laughs) good things happen when you sleep. Water. In John 4, a woman goes to get water. uh, And she ends up meeting Jesus Christ, saves her whole town. So drink more water. Fiber. Remember that Daniel asked for vegetables instead of meat, and then he became one of the most powerful rulers of his time. Is it a coincidence? Probably not. (laughs) And exercise. Think about how many times Jesus took his disciples up to the mountain. (laughs) You too can be transfigured by going up to the mountain. So we're going to look at generosity again this week. Um, what is generosity? Uh, generosity generally is giving something and not expecting something in return. So giving a gift and expecting a better one later is not generosity. Paying for lunch and expecting the, ne- the person to get it next time is not being generous. Giving compliments to the flight attendant so you get more snacks is not generosity. Doing a thankless job and expecting to get thanked is not generosity. So what is it? Uh, generosity is stretching it's not easy and sometimes it's painful so if if you don't come away with anything else this Sunday the big idea today is that God invites us to live generously as uh, as God was generous with us and how do we know God is generous Uh, if you've ever been in Sunday school you know the answer is Jesus because the answer is always Jesus Uh, let's look at Ephesians 2 where uh, it says God is rich in mercy showed us kindness. Jesus is the embodiment of God's generosity. So verses one through three, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, dead in our trespasses, But what is the criteria for how we are to live? What is the standard? The greatest commandments, Mark 12, 28. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. How have you violated these commandments? Good stuff to think about on a Sunday morning. The first commandment, to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, is to never value any one thing more than you desire. Uh, desire God. Think about all the things that we actually pursue and desire. My comfort, my wealth, uh, my dreams. We were created for worship, uh, to worship God. But how often do we actually worship the wrong thing? Imagine God created us to enjoy our company, to delight in us, but instead we rejected him and choose to devote our energy for our own satisfaction. Uh, I should say that God desires us to be well rested, safe, and living a life of purpose. These things are good, but they should not have our devotion the way that God has our devotion. The second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Right now, are you harboring anger, unforgiveness, or hatred in your heart? Think about your coworkers, family, friends, neighbors, people you know and people you don't know on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, that you begrudge, objectify, or judge. Jesus says these things, covetousness, greed, prejudice, hate, disdain, lust, they're as bad as theft, murder, adultery. We can agree that those last things are bad, but to God, who's perfect and holy, any of it whether thought or deed, it's the same. It's a violation of his design. We are not loving our neighbors as ourselves. We are not valuing his creation, his image bearers. You and I are guilty in the eyes of God, dead in our trespasses. Let it sink in. Something good to think about on a Sunday. There's nothing we can do to pay our debt. It's too great. How many thousands of times have we treated poorly those bearing the image of God in our mind? So reflect on this. Feel the weight of your sin. What are the things you are guilty of? How do you place the desires of your body and mind before God? How have you chosen to serve yourself over submitting to God? St. Augustine calls this the rightly ordered loves. All of life's relationships um, and things, uh, relationships with people and things can be arranged by the order they should be loved. So God is the ultimate good and he should be loved first and foremost after God is ourselves and other people and then other created things. And we practice and show love for God by loving our neighbor. The more we love our neighbor, the more we will know how to love God and the more we love God, the more we will be able to love our neighbor. And then there are things, other things that we can love in this life. Beauty, nature, wealth, time, food maybe. But if we don't love God or our neighbor first and instead love these created things, then our love is misordered. We all struggle with this. I struggle with this. Uh, There's a saying, put first things first. And it means if you don't have your priorities right side up, then your life will be upside down. We all struggle to do this because the world is full of temptation and we are not perfect. We need reminders like this one, which is why you came to church. Uh, Ephesians 2.4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. God is rich in mercy, Compelled by his love for us. Showed us grace and saved us, though we were already dead. Um, Mercy means compassion. It's a pardon to um, have punishment mitigated. Love is affection. And grace is favor or goodwill. It's a gift. I think of it like a graph where mercy brings Uh, is an action that brings you from negative to zero, and grace is an action that brings you from zero to positive. One without the other is pointless, but God gives us both. God shows us mercy by forgiving our trespasses. He didn't have to, but he made a way. Because God loves you. The triune God, experiencing the most perfect relationship in the universe. Perfect love, no sin, no deceit since before time god brings us into this relationship at great cost to himself god uh, knowing that we cannot atone for our own sins um, that we are judged guilty of violating god's designs destined to eternity without him sent his son as our substitution jesus who is perfect lived a sinless life on this earth, sentenced to die, and took our sin. Remember all the times that Jesus uh, told someone, your sins are forgiven. He wasn't just saying that abstractly, the way we might if we were sharing the gospel with someone. He knew the only way for their sins to be forgiven was for he himself to be declared guilty of them and to die for them. So imagine Jesus meeting people, looking at them, and I will pay the price for them." And then telling them, your sins are forgiven, and I will pay the price for them. Verses six and seven. And raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So note that verse six is all past tense. It's already done. There's nothing you can do to take away or add to this gift of grace that has already been given to you. God took care of all the sin, all your sin, all my sin. Verses eight and nine. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. If you didn't get it the first time in verse five, Paul says it again here. It is by grace you have been saved. No one has worked for their salvation. No one has earned it. And that means no one can boast and no one can judge. We are all recipients of a priceless and valuable gift that we did not earn. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So now what? We've received grace. We are recipients of deep mercy and boundless grace. Do we do nothing? Like we haven't lived like we haven't been rescued, redeemed, or regenerated? You are God's workmanship. You have been molded into Christ's likeness. As recipients of mercy and grace, we need to extend mercy and grace to those around us. God has already shown us what to do, He has prepared good works beforehand. We just need to walk in the way set before us. But we need to remember what we've been given. God loves you. He knit you together. He knows your soul, your heart, your desires. He hears your cries. He knows your pain. And he desires to be with you. He died the ultimate death on your behalf. Nothing you can do can take away or add to that gift. So we've come to the application part of the teaching. Um, I don't think most people really want to be told what they should do. Uh, But you're at church, and this is what church is for, uh, to be told what you should do. So I will tell you. What is the right response for someone who has been given and forgiven much? How might someone act if they've been shown generosity? How would they treat others? And so if this is a struggle for you, if uh, you don't know why or you don't understand why you're being compelled to generosity, um, do you think you truly know in your heart what it is that you've received? So come back to that. Remember what God has given you and what he promises for you. God doesn't want you and nobody else wants you to be under compulsion when you give. A generous heart comes from encountering the true and living God. Uh, Let's read the parable of the rich fool, which is a really good story. Someone in the crowd says to him, to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and does not wish toward God. There are many things to love about this passage. Some guy interrupts Jesus in the middle of his teaching, and he says, man, who made me a judge? Uh, And then he turns it into this teaching moment to say that life is more than possessions. Um, Let me say here that there is a way to eat, drink, and be merry in a way that honors God, a way to appreciate life that is a means of worship acknowledging the creator of all things. But these things are not the end goal. Life is short. Nothing is guaranteed. I know that any night my soul may be required of me. Uh, this is a picture of um, Paulette and Milo. Uh, that's our daughter on the left. is um, <laughs> our family dog. Um, we got him about a year after I lost my father-in-law. Paulette is our daughter. Uh, We got her about two years after we lost our son as a stillbirth. And they remind us that life is fleeting. There is much sorrow in this life, but there is also much joy. We don't know what we will get to enjoy later. So what will God say to me when my soul is required? Will I have been a fool for storing up goods for myself, or will I have been rich towards God? Well, I've been generous to God's image bearers. So let's come back to this question. What is generosity? What does it look like to be generous? What are the things you can be generous with? The answer to this is another question. What are the things that are valuable to you? Coincidentally, these are the things that you may love too much in a misordered way. Generosity, again, means giving freely and easily. Use and give things for God to bless him, to bless others. Be generous with everything, especially the things that are valuable to you. So as an example, uh, let's talk about driving. Um, I love having the right of way. Um, I'll just put this out there. I'm from SoCal, and SoCal drivers are way better than NorCal drivers. Uh, That's just facts. Everybody knows it. Uh, Anyway, so this story is about being generous towards other drivers and give them the benefit of the doubt. It's hard, I know. Uh, Anyway, so I was on my bike, actually. Um, I'm going through, approaching an intersection. There's a car coming towards uh, the other way, uh, coming from the other way, making a left. They cut me off, and then they stop in the intersection. Uh, So I crashed right into the car. Driver didn't really seem to think they did anything wrong and kind of just left. Um, I tried very hard to give them the benefit of the doubt, trying to be generous, but I didn't. I thought about it for days. I wanted to say something snarky. I wanted to hit their car again. Anyway, um, another example, Uh, generosity of time and resource. Across the street from where I live, uh, there was an encampment. The city just evicted them, so they're not there anymore. Um, But I've struggled to show generosity. I I know that I was born into privilege, and that's the only reason I have a roof over my head. Christ died for all of us and we are all image bearers. I am called to love these neighbors of mine with everything God has given me. I'm still learning to be generous. If you ever feel like you did it, you've been generous enough, don't worry, you haven't. God never stops calling you to a life of giving and growing. When I was a kid, I told my mom, I can't wait till I'm your age so I don't have to keep wondering who I am. I'll have it all figured out like you do. And she just laughed. Now I know, because I'm her age, you never actually figure it out, and you never actually get there. I'm sorry to break it to you young people, Uh, but you're always growing and you're always changing, and it's the same with your faith. Jesus says you have treasure in heaven. You have treasure in heaven, like right now. Live like someone who knows the fullness of your wealth. What are we doing hoarding? And we have God's riches available to us. One last thing, here's a quote from C.S. Lewis. You always gotta have a quote from C.S. Lewis. <laughs> we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. God wants so much more for us. He wants us to know him, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, to be filled with the fullness of God. God does not ask you to give up something and get nothing in return. God himself is your treasure. If you find this teaching difficult, or you find yourself unwilling to be generous, you may need to sit with God to know his generosity and have it transform you. So if you want to experience God's love um, and you don't know what that means, talk to somebody, anybody. Talk to an elder, uh, Pastor Albert, fill out a Connect card. Uh, We also have the communion elements uh, up front and in the back. And the communion is a reminder of what God has done. While you were still far from God, he prepared a way for you to have a relationship with him. He brought you back from the dead. and He will raise you up to life with Jesus.